BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Another day on the Ben Jarofsky Show and another Ben Jarofsky Show with a mystery guest. <laughs> oh my goodness. Is it mystery guest week on the Ben Jarofsky Show? I think it is. <laughs> Who will be on today? Who will be on tomorrow? It's a mystery. Oh, oh my God. All right, I'm scaring myself. Byron Sixto Lopez will be on the program as well. But your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 14th is just moments away. Before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, their sponsors, as well as the Chicago Federation of Labor and the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, who to hang out with. I don't know. All kinds of things in the city of Chicago. If you are a clueless Chicagoan, get a clue. ChicagoReader.com and also ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. There not only will you find an endless archive of Ben Jarofsky show episodes, over 900, damn near a thousand. We're almost there. You will also find a way to help out the Ben Jarofsky show by becoming a bin head. It's a three-tier system. You can either be in the alley, the avenue, or... <laughs> Benny, mystery guest, you got to be a mystery or Benny Boulevard. Am I right? So you can find uh, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky for more information uh, and to help out the Ben Jarofsky show. Also, if you become a Boulevard or Avenue member, you will get a deal on Ben Jarofsky's latest book. Yes, it's the Chicago Reader, Ben Jarofsky's greatest hits covering 40 years. I'm not misspeaking. 40, four, zero <laughs> years. <laughs> My God. Of Chicago. I guess wasn't even born. He was in the cradle. No, he was in the crib going goo goo gaga back then. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> go get it chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky find out more information the Ben Jarofsky show starts right now it is Wednesday April 14th and still live from downstate Illinois in my mother's apartment and live from his attic this is the Ben Jarofsky show Today on the program, a mystery guest. Oh my God, who could it be? And Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Traffic Stop Wednesday and here's why. Well, folks, the last several days have been trying to make sense out of the senseless, which is, of course, the latest shooting by police in Minnesota. You know the details. Dante Wright, 20-year-old black man, pulled over by police while driving through a Minneapolis suburb, Brooklyn Center. Two police officers approach his car, asked to see an ID, asked him to step out of the car. Uh, they start to put him in handcuffs. He breaks free, goes back in his car, at which point one police officer, Kimberly Potter, 
pulls a pistol, yells taser, and then shoots him in the chest. Turns out it wasn't a taser, it was a pistol. Right was unarmed, he died. She resigned. She's a 26-year-old veteran of the force, the former head of the local police union, and a police trainer. She's one of the vets on the force who trains younger police officers how to do their job. Curiously enough, Derek Chauvin's on trial for killing George Floyd in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, just up the road from Brooklyn Center. He, too, was a police trainer. He was actually training some of the other policemen who joined him in the arrest of George Floyd. He put his knee on George Floyd's necks, even though there was no apparent reason for doing so, other than, you know, maybe wanting to torture or kill him. I have a hard time watching these videos for all the obvious reason, the sheer senselessness of it all. The fact that we keep doing the same thing over and over again without seeming to thinking maybe there'd be a better way of doing things. I've watched the Floyd footage, but I also watched the footage that went down before Derek Chauvin put his knee on George Floyd's neck. And I still don't know why police even bothered to order George Floyd to leave his car. The man was accused of passing a counterfeit $20 bill. I don't know. Write him a ticket? Why are you dragging him out of his car? If you see that footage before, this is the footage before Derek Chauvin put his knee on George Floyd's neck. The cops are knocking on the window and they're cursing him. Get out of that car. I don't get it. Like, why the urge to pull the man out of the car for a $20 counterfeit bill? Back to right. I had many conversations with people about this. People said, Ben, he's not an angel. That's what people always tell me when something like this happened. Ben, he's not an angel. Ahmaud Arbery, he's not an angel. That was the man shot in Georgia by uh, his neighbors. He's not an angel, Ben. He was in a house. Did you know that? He wasn't even supposed to be in that house. It was, uh, they were building a house and he walked in the house. How do you explain that? I'm like, what goes on in someone's mind? Like, who among us is an angel? I'm trying to think this through. All the stupid, dumb things I've done in my life. I'm no angel either. That doesn't mean I should be shot. George Floyd, he's no angel. Jacob Blake, Ben, he's no angel. Back to right. They tell me, Ben, he had an outstanding warrant. Did you know about that? It was weapons violation. Misdemeanor charge that he illegally possessed a pistol. And then they look at you go, let that sink in. Like, he's no angel. And I'm like, let's assume for a moment that the charge is legit that he was illegally possessing a pistol and that that gun therefore was illegal and that he did not have a proper firearm card. Since when is that a capital offense? Now let's go a little further. I'm going to make a confession here. I have no great affinity for guns or weaponry of any kind. I don't own a gun. I've never been attracted to guns. My dear friend Adolfo for a while, tried to talk me into going to a shooting range with him. And I'm like, I don't know what the, come on. No, I don't know. Now, I understand why people own guns, why some think it's necessary. Absolutely. Not naive. I know why people enjoy like the sportsmanship of shooting guns. I know why people enjoy going hunting. I know all that stuff. I'm not trying to hate on anybody. I'm not trying to take away somebody's rights to own a gun. I'm just saying I personally not a big fan of weaponry. And I know that puts me at odds with roughly 45% of America that voted for Donald Trump and is dedicated to the Republican Party. And a day doesn't go by where I don't get an email calling on me to join their crusade against the radicals in the Democratic Party. 
who want to take away their Second Amendment rights, want to take away their guns. I just got an email from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Trump's former press secretary, running for governor of Arkansas, telling me the radical Democrats want to take away your Second Amendment rights, but I won't let them. Sometimes they send me pictures of themselves brandishing weapons. Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman from Georgia, she sent me an email, a fundraising email. She's got some kind of high power rifle. People say, oh, Ben, those are just the nutcases on the fringe of the Republican Party. I'd argue that, no, the fringe is the center of the Republican Party. And to prove that point, I'm going to introduce you to Darren Bailey, the downstate state senator who's running for governor as a Republican, probably the front runner as I speak. He recently introduced a bill that would do away with the law that requires gun owners in Illinois to obtain a firearms license from the state. It's true. You can look it up. He says that the de- delays are so long in issuing these cards that those delays are an infringement on the sacred Second Amendment rights of people in Illinois to own a gun. So if that's the case, if you're just going to propose that we do away with firearms license altogether, why did the police even bother to make Dante Wright get out of his car? Why did they just allow him to go on his very way? Or to that point, why aren't Marjorie Taylor Greene, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Darren Bailey joining the chorus calling for justice for Dante Wright? Reminds me of the police shooting right here in Chicago. It took place in the summer of 2018. I think it's all long forgotten in South Shore. Harith Augustus, a barber, he was standing on 71st Street, minding his business. Police approached him, searched him on the suspicion that he had a gun. He bolted and ran, and a police officer shot him. I wrote at the time, where are the Second Amendment rights activists marching in the streets on behalf of Augustus? Man, I got ripped. Ben, you commie. He didn't have the right kind of license. Isn't that interesting? All these Second Amendment right activists turn like into constitutional scholars when it comes to Augustus standing on the street corner on 71st Street. Didn't that? He had one kind of license, but not the right kind of license. Now Darren Bailey wants to get rid of licenses altogether. When it comes to random black people on the street, they're a stickler for gun laws. But when it comes to Kyle Rittenhouse closing, crossing state lines from Illinois to Kenosha, he's a sacred citizen with his constitutional right to walk down a street with high-powered weaponry. I'm starting to think that gun laws are the new marijuana laws. Follow me in this, folks. For the longest time, reefer was illegal. But everyone smoked it. But only black people got busted for it. And when they got busted for it, people would tell me, Ben, they're possessing illegal drugs. Then these people would tell me that would go home and get high or watch a TV show where folks got high. And then they laugh at the hijinks of people who were high. Oh, that's South Broke. It's really funny. I sometimes think in my darkest hours, all these laws, drug laws, gun laws, just an excuse to lock up black people. We got a great show today, everybody. Byron Sixto Lopez will be here talking affordable housing. We've got a couple of housing activists with us, but we also have a mystery guest. Before we bring on the housing activist, I want to talk to our mystery guest. There's some kind of piercing noise. You hear that, D? Uh, that's one of our guests. Noah, if you could, please. There we go. He muted his mic. There, so there you we go. go. There you go. 
It's always the millennial guest with the piercing noises. Have you ever noticed that, ladies and gentlemen? Just see a little smile on the guest. Um, anyway, we have a uh, mystery guest. I thought it was appropriate with Byron on the show uh, that we would uh, bring in this mystery guest. He was on the show a couple weeks ago. He happens to be Byron's lawyer, Alderman Byron Sixto's lawyer, uh, the great, the legendary Adolfo Mondragon. Uh, is coming back to the show. Adolfo, you can uh, unmute yourself and introduce yourself uh, to everyone. Say hello. You're on mute, Adolfo. There we go. There there we go. go. Hey, Ben. Hey, Dennis. Uh, uh, The Adolfo uh, that I'm talking to, a frequent guest on the show, election law lawyer, a constitutional lawyer, a graduate of the University of Chicago Law School, all those fine things, uh, is also the Adolfo that I referred to in my opening remarks uh, as the enthusiast who tried to talk me into going to a... where did you want me to go with you? I don't know. It was like a shooting uh, range or something. Yeah, a shooting range, just so that you could have the experience of having actually handled and shot a gun, and just have a perspective. Because you were you were thinking of writing an article, and I said, well, why don't you just actually do it? Um, because uh, I was on. I think we were talking about uh, carrying concealed laws. And I uh, said that I actually, I, I'm a holder of a carry and concealed uh, license and that there are various reasons why I carry it. And then I invited you to go shoot just so that you could have that perspective, at least whether or not you liked it or not, it doesn't matter. It was just so that you, when writing that you could say, and I've even, you know, done this and I don't get the appeal or I do get the appeal or whatever, you know. Well, maybe when the, uh, I, you didn't talk, I think it was actually, I was writing about Harith Augustus, the barber that I was just alluding to on East 71st Street who was shot by police. Uh, and it I remember, been. yeah, it I was writing been, right. because uh, it, it was, I took the position, as I just stated, uh, that gun rights uh, supporters should have been defending him. Oh, uh, totally, he, totally. Because had, if I remember had, that, that case, he had, he actually had a, a firearms identification card, but he did not have a carry and concealed law, which was just the next step that he could have taken. But because there's costs and fees or whatever, he didn't take it. Whatever reason, which is a precise, yeah. which is a precise Second Amendment NRA kind of argument would have been like, look, we should get rid of these fees and they shouldn't be licensed and blah blah blah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I want to point out one more time uh, that Darren Bailey, who is uh, running for. Uh, Governor, as a Republican state senator from downstate Illinois, is pushing uh, for a law that would do away with all requirements to have any kind of license in the state of Illinois. So, right. right. And uh, if I'm correct, if I, I think the NRA type people are the ones that don't want any registration, don't want any licensing. They just want everyone to have this inalienable right to do, you know, to carry whenever they want without informing the government, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Unless it's in the case of. Unless it's a black person or a brown person. Right. Yeah. Byron Sisha Lopez, Noah Moskowitz, Lamont Burnett have joined me, uh, housing activists uh, and aldermen from the city of Chicago. We're here to talk about the affordable housing requirement ordinance. And that's a mouthful to say, um, but it's a very important ordinance in the city of Chicago. If you're going to have any kind of pretense that we believe in affordability in the city of Chicago, I would make the argument. I'm going to open it up uh, with Noah Moskowitz uh, from one north side, get his thoughts on this, but I would make the argument that um, uh, Noah, that the, the city is largely dedicated uh, to the notion that what's best for the city of Chicago is gentrification. What's best for the city of Chicago is to essentially move wealthier people in and move poorer people out. 
but you can't come right out and say that, Noah Moskowitz. You have to sort of pretend like you do believe in affordability and an integrated uh, city. And so I've been watching this for a while, the gamesmanship that goes on. That's my, again, cynical, jaded observation of a longtime journalist, been watching things in the city of Chicago for a long time. Uh, Noah, why don't you uh, enlighten me? Perhaps I'm being too say, uh, jaded and cynical. Do you think in this moment in time, the city really is ready to make a commitment uh, to affordability uh, in the city? Go ahead. Um, what I'll say to that, and I think, you know, Lamont and Alderman C. Chalobas can jump in, is that I'll say I haven't seen anything that would indicate that they're ready to make that commitment or that they're willing to make that commitment. Um, yeah, what do you think, Lamont? Lamont, you're on mute. Yeah, Lamont's on mute. There he goes. I, I, I saw Byron. That's what, okay. Well, um, it, well, as you know, we've been, we've really been trying to negotiate with the mayor on particularly affordable housing in the city of Chicago. And that, you know, I assume she's not listening to what we want. But I think basically we're trying to get mostly like family size units as well as at the 40% AMI. The man wants, I think, 20%. Is that correct? Uh, 60% of the AMI. Uh, 60% of the AMI. And we feel that, that that family size units should be affordable. Because I know that when I was... Um, I know that when I was um, running, when I was at um, when the Wilson Men's Hotel, I know that I had to pay a higher rent when I left the Wilson Men's Hotel. And, um, you know, I say we're trying to get, you know, family sized units. We're trying to make sure that the mayor listens to us because we do have our own ordinance, I think, would um, suffice the um the voters here in the city of Chicago. So to give context to what yes. Lamont just said, the Wilson Men's Hotel was a, a 250-unit SRO, affordable, uh, right in the heart of Uptown, right next to the Red Line. Um, and it was one of many SROs and um, what we call naturally occurring affordable housing buildings where people are just paying a regular rent, like paying a regular rent for to, to get by in a regular life. And we've lost thousands and thousands of those units all over the city, but especially on the north side in a shockingly short period of time. Um, I don't have the data right in front of me, but the north side of Chicago, like that lakefront area, Rogers Park, Edgewater, Uptown, we're looking at something like 33,500 lost affordable housing units just between 2013 and 2017. And so when we look at why is that happening, we're looking at um, a lot of different reasons, but we can't ignore the boom of luxury housing development. And by some estimates, since 2011, Chicago has seen 40,000 new luxury housing units getting built. And when I say that, I'm talking about like a studio for 1,500 bucks a month, a two bedroom for like 2,500 bucks a month. Those are the prices we're seeing. Um, so, uh, so in our, especially in one north side, but I'm sure in Pilsen as well, um, and in neighborhoods all over the city, we're seeing an influx of new luxury which are very often not filled for very long periods of time. And we're losing all of our working class, um, yeah. working class community members and our community members of color. Um, and we really need to stop that. We need to retract. Um, and we are doing everything we can to make that happen. Um, and we think there's a lot more that we can be doing as a city. And I'll leave it at that. Do you want to go ahead, Alderman? 
Yeah, so I was going to uh, uh, raise a direct uh, a question to Alderman uh, Byron Cisha Lopez, 25th Ward, uh, the Pilsen area, Chinatown area. Uh, Byron, you were on the Inclusionary Housing Task Force. You're one of the Aldermanic co-chairs, along with uh, Walter Burnett at the 27th Ward and Harry Osterman of the 48th Ward. Uh, Burnett and Osterman are more or less mayoral allies of uh, Lori Lightfoot. And the fact that you were put uh, on this task force gave me hope that the city was going to be with all the different constituents uh, on this issue, even people who don't agree with the mayor. So I gave her credit for putting, for agreeing that you be on this uh, inclusionary housing task force. So it was really inclusionary. And here we are on the eve of a city council, a vote uh, on the ordinance. And it seems as though we, we have not reached consensus. So how inclusive was the inclusionary housing task force on this issue? Go ahead. No, that, and I think that, uh, um, and thank you, man. I think that's a great question. Indeed, I was one of the co-chairs of the task force that, uh, yeah, for many of us, in fact, uh, sent a good signal because we had several members of our coalition as part of the task force. We got a hearing on the uh, subject matter, you know, um, back at the end of 2019. So it, it, it sent a signal that the administration was willing to listen and to, to bring uh, to the table a compromise. Unfortunately, and you know, we've seen, you know, with the police accountability reform, we see this with uh, other coalitions where uh, the mayor basically breaks, you know, uh, you know, uh, breaks from the coalition, breaks from the the conversation to do her own, um, you know, to 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 bring her own bill. Um, I, I think that we we shouldn't hold our breath uh, in the change of attitude of the administration or the change of hearts. Uh, I do think that what we want to make sure is that we hold the administration accountable to what they committed to, which is was to reach consensus. I think that we are at the table, uh, at least in the, the task force members that, you know, Noah and many others who have been brought up extremely well thought out research based recommendations that we are seeing being implemented in other cities. Uh, what we don't have right now in the city of Chicago is the political willingness to do what's right in terms of housing policy. We uh, cave in to the interests of big developers, the, the, the you know developers that put in profit over people in a time of the pandemic where we cannot continue to operate as business as usual. We have seen the economy changing that drastically. We've seen unemployment numbers surging. We have a very difficult situation in terms of housing, a shortage that even the city of Chicago, the Department of Housing um, has, has acknowledged. 120,000 uh, units um, uh, of affordable housing that we don't have today. That is what it's going to take. We are presenting and we have presented a bill um, that, that, that are supposed to serve as a foundation. We have gone a long way. I don't want to discredit that the conversation without the coalition would have been even in a, in even a, a more, um, um, uh, in a more precarious condition. But I think that right now in the city of Chicago, what we need is to build consensus. The administration time after time has failed to do that. This, a day before the, uh, the hearing in the housing committee, we are at the table asking for basic consensus, things that are within reach, family-sized affordable housing units that we need to keep families in our neighborhoods, an average median income that does not include a vast majority of working-class residents across the city. We are within reach. Now, at the end of the day, the mayor of the city continues to have the leverage, and we are asking her to do the right thing and listen to the community for a fair compromise 
I wouldn't hold my breath, but that's exactly what we are urging city council members to listen to their constituents, to listen to the research base and uh, our good practices in other municipalities and not to what the developers want to impose. All right. Uh, no, I want to bring this to you uh, uh, before we uh, get to uh, Lamont. Uh, I want to you to clarify something Noah, that you were doing before we went on air you're doing a really good job of uh explaining th- uh, what exactly people mean when they talk about uh, area, median income, and how it impacts housing. It gets very confusing because these acronyms get thrown at people, this jargon gets thrown at people, and, and, and you folks are in the housing movement, you know exactly what it means, but I think a lot of just average citizens in the city of Chicago are lost. So why don't you just give that explanation? Yeah, and I have like a long-standing gripe that my, my conspiracy theory is that the reason that affordable housing policy is so complicated is like an intentional tool um, by the sort of like uh, real estate elite to uh, prevent us from doing anything about it. Cause it's like, I, I met Lamont when we were organizing against the evictions at Wilson men's hotel. And it's like, you know, Lamont's organizing his neighbors to come to a tenant meeting and they're like, this is messed up. We're all getting put out for no reason. And I'm like, well, right. That's why you need to look at section five dash blah, 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 the blah, blah. And they're like, what? No, no, dude. we just need to not be homeless. What's the deal here? Um, but, uh, you know, to your point, I think this goes back to what Byron was saying as well. I mean, the inclusionary housing task force was inclusive. We based our most current iteration of ARO reform. We've been working on it for three years. We based our most current iteration on the recommendations of the task force. The Chicago Inclusive Housing Ordinance is based specifically on the recommendations of the report that the Department of Housing wrote based on those task force conversations. And one of those, which the report very clearly put out, was that, you know, most black and brown households in Chicago cannot afford what's considered an affordable unit under the Affordable Requirements Ordinance. Um, So right now, and in the mayor's current ordinance, they want to average that income for an ARO unit at 60% of the area median income, 60% of AMI. Now, what the hell does that mean? No one should have to know what that means. So I'm going to do my best to explain it. Uh, if you get totally lost, I don't know. There's nothing you can do. You're listening on radio, but uh, maybe, maybe you'll find out where I live and you can come yell at me. Um, so basically the federal government says, what is an affordable unit? How do we know if a rental unit is affordable? And what the federal government says, it's affordable if you're paying a third of your rent, sorry, if you're paying a third of your income on your rent, the total housing cost. Affordable if you're paying a third of your income on your affordable housing costs. Nobody in the United States of America goes around trying to find an apartment, thinking about, well, what's my income? And then what's a third of that? Mm-hmm. They, they know what rent they can basically afford and they go looking for it. And the same thing is true for policy. If we want to set affordable rents, we basically know what kinds of rents are affordable. But since the federal government defines it by income, there's this whole cockamamie scheme where you have to figure out, well, what, how do we set an affordable rent? So if we say spending 30% of your income means that that's an affordable rent, what the federal government says is, well, we have these area median incomes. So the area median income or AMI refers to a six county area, including Cook County, um, to say that's the average income. And so if you want to figure out what's affordable, you have to set it as a percentage of that average income. Now the area median income, I'm, I'm confusing averages and medians. Nobody yelled at me. 
if you're if you're looking at the median income, that's not going to be representative of working class communities or communities of color in Chicago. You know, like the, the, because Winnetka's income is getting involved there. Yeah. Um, so they set it at a percentage of the area median income. So they say this rent should be affordable to somebody who makes 60% of the area median income, which means they should only pay a third of their income for that rent. That is all a very complicated, very fancy way of saying that for a studio where the rent is affordable to somebody making 60% of the area median income, you're looking at basically $950 a month. For a two-bedroom, you're looking at $1,250 a month. So these are certainly more affordable than the luxury units we're seeing getting built everywhere, but they're not affordable for you know, the people who are getting displaced from our community. Like Lamont, how much did you pay at Wilson Men's Hotel and how much are you paying now? Well, at the Wilson Men's Hotel, which was reasonable, I was paying 300 and... Well, it, it, it grew in that every year, but I was paying like $350 a month. And where I'm at now, I'm paying only $228 a month. And the Wilson Men's Hotel was not subsidized? No, it was not subsidized. Margaret Ray Ryan. So, and now there's obviously a lot of people between what Lamont was paying and those figures I just cited. But the point is, is when you set your floor mm -hmm. at 60% of the area median, median income, you're excluding hundreds of thousands of Chicagoans. And the data that came out of the ARO task force showed that. I'm going to pull it up here if you guys will give me a second. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the city's ARO task force, their data says the median income of a black household is $27,713 a month. And the median income of a Latino household is $40,700 a month. The average family size of a black household is 2.7. And the average family size of a Latino household is 3.7. So when you're setting AMI, you're taking into account income and family size. Mm -hmm. But when you crunch those numbers, you're looking at the average area median income for a black and Latino family being between 35 and 40% of the area median income. So it sounds like we're quibbling over peanuts. So why do these crazy activists care about the difference between 40% and 60%? It sounds pretty close. What we're talking about is a reasonable rent for actually the majority of Chicago's population that are those black and brown households. We're talking about the difference between a two, between a two bedroom for $1,250 a month and a two bedroom for $950 a month. It's $300, but that $300 makes a world of difference for whether yes. or not families are housed or whether they're not housed. Um, and just one more thing, I know I've been rambling for a while. Yeah. I just wanna finish this and say, there's, you know, there's not infinite space between our ordinance and the mayor's ordinance. Like Byron said, we've had some really fruitful conversations. Needs to be a requirement for family-sized units. That AMI, as I just explained, needs to be reasonable for the majority of Chicago's households. And what one of the things the ARO task force report itself said was we need a nexus study so that we can get a universal density. Because right now, only residential developments have to pay for affordable housing in Chicago. Why shouldn't commercial or office developments pay for affordable housing as well? I'll leave it at that. Sorry, Ben, I've been going on yeah, for a while. Uh, Lamont, so uh, yeah. I, I think I cut you off. What were you going to say before I cut you off? Well, I was basically going to say this is that 40% for me is a hit, but it's a reasonable hit. So I'm willing to give up something to make sure that where I live is affordable. 
And I think the mayor needs to, you know, at least come, at least sit down and negotiate with them. And then, too, I was going to talk, Noah talked about it, which is the universal um, fee, which I think is, is something that should be, that the mayor should look at because that money will go into making sure that affordable housing will be built here in the city of Chicago. Now, the, uni- uh, the universal fee has to do, uh, please explain that, Noah, with the universal. There's another uh, a phrase that people probably don't know. So explain that one as well. But, so right now in the ARO, mm-hmm. most developers can pay out of most of their affordable unit requirement. It's called an in lieu of fee. Mm-hmm. So you pay this fee in lieu of actually building the affordable unit. Under the mayor's ordinance, they want to cut that in half. So you can only pay fees for half of the units. That's an improvement, but with the scale and pace of displacement that we're seeing, we think that all these units should be built um, on site and or near the development. Now, the point that the mayor's office will make, which is a good point, is that those in lieu of fees fund the low income housing trust fund and fund the affordable housing opportunity fund. So those in lieu of fees pay for important city programs. And we don't want to gut those, not in any way, shape or form. So that's great. We can have our cake and eat it too in this case. The city of Arlington, Virginia raised $17 million from their density fee in three years. Let's bring commercial zoning. Let's bring commercial development. Let's bring office development. Let's bring non-residential development into the affordable housing fee base like other cities do. So then we can have our affordable units on site and continue to pay and even expand these affordable housing programs. Lamont, I'm going to ask you the question that I uh, posed uh, to Noah earlier. Uh, how much support do you believe? You're a lifelong Chicagoan, grew up in Chicago. How much support do you think there exists in the city of Chicago right now uh, to preserve affordable housing? Well, I, I can say th- there's a, I think there's a hidden support for affordable housing in the city of Chicago. And we do have support. We do have a lot of support, but I think most of us is, is, is hidden support because I feel that a lot of people need to know how important affordable housing is to have here in the city of Chicago. And, 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 I, and I, again, we, we have support. We have a lot of support, but we also have um, what you call hidden support because a lot of people is not educated about affordable housing here in the city of Chicago because a lot of people think, think, um, they left because um, they feel uh, like like crime and and other things, but also didn't understand that one of the main reasons why you left is because you couldn't afford where you lived, and that's one of the one of the main reasons why I say it's 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 a hidden support because a lot of people are not educated about how important affordable housing is we need to have here in the city of Chicago to keep that population. And I do know the mayor. I once heard the mayor said that she was trying to bring that population back that she lost. And if, if if she's doing her ordinance, I don't think it would happen. Well, no, that's part of the reason uh, Lamont and Noah and Byron, I'm so <laughs> cynical about this because uh, you just alluded to it, Lamont, the, the popular, I believe that what uh, Mayor Lori Leifer was saying was that she was referring to uh, the exodus of black people from the city of Chicago that took place for the last 20 years. It's been happening I mean, this entire century and uh, it wasn't treated as a quote unquote 
problem that the city had to address. And that's why I just like I kind of bought into what Chris Kennedy said when he was running for governor uh, back in 2018. Let that cat out of the bag, Lamont. And he said something (laughs) that, that you're not supposed to say, which is this exodus was created by a policy that was intended to make this exodus. And exactly. so you guys are swimming against the tide when you're trying to force the developer. Developers will look at you, Lamont and Noah and Byron. And I go, are you kidding me? You're asking me to agree to set aside housing in a complex, let's say in uptown that will cut the amount of money I can make from my right. complex. Hey, Lamont. I think that's a direct quote from a meeting I've been in. <laughs> I wasn't even in the meeting. I know what they were saying. And it's like, they go, Lamont, no way. You know what I'm saying? You're, you, you, do you get what I'm saying? And go ahead. Yeah, but, but then too, you got to also where it started at, where I came from, 53rd and State, which is Robert Taylor. Mm-hmm. That's where the dismantle of the black population be, was beginning when they tore down public housing. That's when it all began. Because I, I live there. 53rd and state. So that's when the exodus of, of, of black people began, which is that Robert Taylor, when all the, um, you know, the, the projects was torn down and things like that. We also got to put in the drug war that also did a lot of this, the redlining. So it was, it was a lot of reasoning for the black exodus. Cause I remember when they used to call Chicago, the black belt, you know, along that expressway. So, and that was because of a lot of the development that they tore down. So, yeah, yeah I, I know. I hear you. And it's been going on really, I mean, full scale since the 90s, since Mayor Daly got in uh, and uh, the plan for transformation, which is what right. led to the uh, right. uh, the destruction of those units that you alluded to, the Taylor Homes, Cabrini Green on the north side of Chicago got knocked down. This is almost ancient history for millennials, right. Lamont. They don't know about these uh, communities they don't know about the plan for transformation. All they know is they read, pick up the paper, and, you, and as Noah was pointing out, it's just exceedingly complicated jargon. Uh, that's what it's been reduced to, like a basic human need that you and Noah have been articulating, that people have a right to housing, and we should have it a, a, a city that's integrated ethnically and economically. Exactly. That's what you guys are championing, and it gets reduced to this jargon, and you got like the lawyers and the developers and the mathematicians talking about a percentage of the area median income. And essentially what they're saying uh, is that if you're going to give the green light to some developer to put up a project in Uptown, in Edgewater, in South Shore, wherever, if you're going to give him a zoning change that he needs to put that project up, if you're going to sell him city land that he needs to put that project up, you have to guarantee a a certain portion of that project is affordable to people like Lamont Burnett. And so what they do is, here, we'll get into the 30% of the 40%. And they confuse everybody. Right. Yeah. Is that really I don't know. Just... I think I think a literal a literal piece of the mayor's ordinance currently is twenty um, percent of the units in high income neighborhoods have to be affordable in quotes at sixty percent of the area median income. A third right. of that twenty percent has to be affordable at fifty percent of the area median income, and a sixth of that twenty percent has to be affordable. At 40% of the area median income. So again, I think you're <laughs> yeah. making direct quotes. I don't know how you know what's been going on in all these. Are you, I mean, you must have read the ordinance. Uh, that's literally what it's, that's literally what it says. 
Yeah, I uh, Noah, to your point, I've been writing about municipal finance in the city of Chicago for a long time, the TIF program in particular. And if you want to get away with any kind of municipal larceny, what you do is you make it so freaking complicated that nine-tenths of the, the public won't understand it, will walk away from it. You can get away with murder. And, yeah, uh, I, mean, I do want to be fair. And I mean, this stuff is complicated. There's no question about it. And there's also no question that there are there, you know, there are improvements since what's being put being put forward. But you know, we can't look at this and say we got a majority of the population that's earning 40% of the AMI in our city that needs family-sized units. And we have to be honest about whether or not that ordinance is going to serve them. So we hope that, you know, the mayor's going to come back to the table and work something out. Although, you know, your cynicism is well received. <laughs> Uh, but but, I don't, but you know what I but you know what I start doing now. What I don't shop downtown anymore. I stop shopping downtown. So so if what that, does that have to do with it? <laughs> I, I stop shopping downtown. So I'm going to find somewhere else in the neighborhood and shop. Maybe maybe then she'll get to listen to us. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> the shopping downtown strategy. Uh, Byron, are you still here? You turned off your uh, computer so I can't yes. see you. Uh, Byron, so I, I need to know, what's your sense of where the city council stands on this? Uh, Lamont and Noah did a pretty good job of laying out the issue uh, to how it impacts uh, people in the city of Chicago. Now it's being dumped in the laps of the aldermen, and you have a lot of development interests on one hand and the mayor trying to t- placate them. Uh, the Chicago City Council is going to be asked to weigh in. What's your sense of where they're at? Well, so... I think at this point we, and it's clear that the mayor is trying to push a rush a vote, right, for the housing committee on uh, Thursday. Um, we still and strongly believe that we have a good compromise within reach. I think the coalition has made a very important points of why this is so important that we get right. This is the kind of legislation that is going to be with us for a long time. You know, talk about, you know, bills that, I mean, the last one was at least with us for six years. And a lot happened during those six years. If we compare this to uh, what happened with the um, SRO bill, right, and how developers basically target SROs, we lost thousands of affordable housing units, single room occupancy, you know, units during this time. That's what this is so critical that we have a a robust conversation, and we are within reach of a compromise. But the compromise will not happen if the mayor rushed the bill. And, I, and, and you have seen how aggressive she whips votes despite of the rhetoric, right? Uh, we've seen what she said to the Black Caucus, how she, you know, she retaliates and does anything and everything possible. I even have seen, um, you know, lobbying from uh, different groups coming in to push for this ordinance without an understanding of what we're discussing. At this point, what we're asking is to have a fair compromise. We are within consensus on the average median income and the um, family size units that are critical, but without a compromise, without a consensus that is based on uh, arguments, not based on what's good for developers and the mayor's uh, political uh, ambition, we are going to fail the city of Chicago. So we are right now at the table. I'm being urging my colleagues in the Progressive Caucus, in the Latino Caucus, to press the administration to uh, reach this compromise if we want to rush the vote, but let's do it with arguments. We've been working for this for a long time. These are recommendations that come from the inclusionary, and I hope that we do honor by the inclusionary uh, part of the task force so that we um, uh, we find a bill in front of us 
that is what the city of Chicago and our small mobile residents deserve and know what is convenient for developers. I hope that the administration is willing to uh, to reach compromise. I wouldn't hold my breath. So that's what we're mobilizing uh, our Progressive Caucus members and any alderman and elder woman in the city of Chicago who wants to represent their constituents, they have to demand a good bill and nothing that falls short with that. It's within reach. We are hoping that uh, we encourage council members to either encourage the administration to reach a, um, a agreement, a consensus, or delay the conversation until we do so. We are ready to act. We are ready to do what the city needs, but we need the mayor to listen. She doesn't have the track record, but we are, that doesn't stop us from doing the right thing. All right, we're going to close with this. Uh, Noah, what are deadlines that people should keep in their mind uh, uh, on this matter? So as Alderman Sikcha Lopez just said, tomorrow is the housing committee vote on the mayor's ordinance. Um, if it passes, um, then it goes to the full city council meeting to be turned into law. And that is a week from today. That's April 21st. Um, so, you know, we've been working on this for three years. We've been working on it um, with the city through the task force for a year and a half. It would be a shame if, uh, like Byron said, we couldn't get to the finish line together on this one. All right, listen, and I, 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 no, I don't want you to think I'm just completely cynical. I just, I just, I just, I, I have this feeling that you're going to walk away going, God, this is the most cynical guy I've ever. I, I personally am not a cynical human being. No, I've been doing this for 40 years. I could not continue to do this if I were a cynic. If I didn't believe there was hope that people would do the right thing. Uh, but you get a little jaded, Noah Moskowitz, watching how stuff happens in the city of Chicago. Oh, you know, you know, working with Byron, working with Lamont, who've been doing this a lot, been organizing a lot longer than me. It's, uh, I have to tamp down my optimism. All right, very good. That's Noah Moskowitz and Lamont Burnett. Thank you very much. Um, they are from one north side on the north side of Chicago. And Byron Sixer Lopez, good friend of the show, alderman of the 25th Ward. Thank you very much. We had, and I want to thank all our listeners, man. We we put you through uh, some obstacles today. We had a few technical difficulties, first time ever, uh, but um, it all worked out well. Once again, thank you, Noah Moskowitz. Thank you, Lamont Burnett. Thank you, Byron Cecil Lopez. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. All right. Take care. Bye.